0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown. I am Matt Koplik. And I am also Matt Koplik. Just kidding. I'm gentlest cabbage. Hello, everybody. I, I mean, there is no
2: shortage of white Jewish boys in musical theater, so...
1: Oh my god, it's always been my dream to be a white Jewish boy musical theater, but I've only been a white Polish girl, <laughs> which, I mean, we have our place, <laughs> too. We have our place. I feel like
2: that that's like a, I don't know, the stakes for a Freaky Friday somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, that's like totally a regional Freaky Friday. <laughs> it It's like a regional
2: Freaky Friday in, in Poland, legitimately. Mm.
1: Yes, and so now that we've already had our first tangent, well, Yay. <laughs> welcome back to Broadway Ta- Breakdown. That, that was a short tangent
2: right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're getting better at our tangents too. We've stopped saying like, the tangents only take like 15 seconds max. We're doing great. I've had like five cups of coffee already today. Um, oh my god, I've been up since
2: 6am, John. Uh, so speaking of tangents, can I just say, I have been traveling to Brooklyn back and forth every day for the last two weeks, teaching at a musical theater camp for 9 to 14-year-olds. And uh, I'm I'm both extremely exhausted and
1: very wired. Um, I want to hear a little more about your... So this camp you're doing, what are you doing? So in 10 days, these, like, 16 kids come together,
2: they audition for us, and we cast them in a bunch of scenes and songs for musicals to compile this, like, 30-minute review. So the review theme is just, like, Broadway-bound. Wait, you'll actually... You will appreciate this. So the day that we were doing casting, we wanted to make it so that way everybody had at least two things to do. So they were either in a scene or in a song or what have you. And mm-hmm. we had three girls who did not have a second scene. And we're sitting there going, we don't have a second scene for them. And one of the teachers goes, if only we had a scene for three girls that showbiz related. And I said, well, what about Dreamgirls? And they go, well, we don't have a scene from Dreamgirls. And I said, I could write one from memory.
1: God bless. You know, Matthew, Matthew, (laughs) there are not enough people in this world who could write a Dream Girl scene from memory, so I just want to take this time to personally thank you on behalf of all of humanity for having that skill set. (laughs) Um, man. Thank you.
2: I appreciate that. Best of
1: all, you'll... you'll, you'll appreciate
2: this even more. Then they go, but wait, aren't they like... Like aren't they black and aren't they 30 and aren't there like all these other people in the show? So I took the first 12 minute scene from Dream Girls, you know, like where they're at the Apollo and they're going out for the talent contest. And I, again, I cannot stress this enough. This was from memory. I did not look up anything. I could just write it out. I was able to type up the scene and and just like mentally as I was writing it, cancel out all other roles. I got rid of Cece and uh, Jimmy and all those other people and I I compiled a very tightly constructed page and a half scene, and now it is bomb. So I want everyone to know that those of you who laughed at me when I was in my bedroom at 12 years old memorizing the concert cast recording with Audra, Lilius White, and Heather Headley, the day has finally come where that was you actually know, useful. So good day to you.
1: They, they all said that you could not whitewash dream girls, and gosh darn it, you did it. By George. By George. By George, you really did it. It's it's actually like it's a huge kind of meta whitewashing, like you are whitewashing the whitewashing as the whitewashing is whitewashing itself. Wow. Just a just a who's who of whitewashing really going on. That
2: um, yeah, that was I wow. was about to say that whole description sounded like Christopher Nolan presents an inception production of Dream Girls, but so,
1: yeah it was so this is the perfect segue to talk about natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 am i right ah oh, um, god if ever there was a time let's go for it let's let's delve right in we both had four time. cups of coffee yeah. let's do it there's a war going on out there somewhere and andre isn't here
0: there's a war going on out there somewhere. And Andre's in tears.
1: There's a war. Going yeah, so i I um we, we didn't get to record last week just because our schedules were pretty hectic. I have some other things on the back burner right now, which I'm like getting excited about, but who knows, you know, like, fingers crossed. Fingers but, crossed for you, John. Um, but yeah, and then you had this camp, so we weren't able to record last week, but we missed the shitstorm, and I'm glad to say this because I tweeted this, this is my own intellectual property, of Natasha Pierre and the great social media shitstorm of 2017. Um, wow, so much happened last week.
2: Oh my god, and in such a short period of time. Like, it wasn't oh, like yeah. it happened over five days. This happened within, like, 20 hours.
1: Yeah, the page hadn't even finished loading with the article, of Mandy Patinkin joining Comet, by the time that the next article came out that he was leaving Comet, like literally, like it was a blessing and a curse and just just a clusterfuck. My mind was just, I was boggled. Um, yeah, it was ab- crazy. About yeah, as as new things kept coming up, and then and then people were saying this is a racial issue. It's not a racial issue. It's a many Patinkin issue. It's a it's a star name issue. And then it was coming up more that. Britton Ashford, that's her name, correct? Yes. Me if I'm, right? So, Britton yeah. Ashford. I, I kept on wanting to call her Connie Britton last week and I was like, that's not it. Um no. Britain Britain Ashford, Ashford yeah. being asked to leave for Ingrid. I was like, oh my goodness, this is just this is someone said it, I think it was like annoying actor friend or, or something like that. But it's it's Smash Season Three. Like high drama that wrote itself.
2: Literally. Um so for you know, on for a previously on, I'll do, I'll do a quick recap of what this shitstorm was, and then John, I would like you to delve right in with your
1: John's hot take, um, if you if you will. It's a steaming take almost.
2: <laughs> so, how do you pronounce Oak's full name? Do you know? Because every time I see it, I just go, "I'm glad I'm reading it and not reciting it."
1: Yeah, I, I get a little bit of um, nervousness every time I even read it because. And my last name was Scavage, so like, yeah. fuck all there. Like, who can pronounce that? But like, every time I see his name, I'm like, oh, God bless, God, God bless him keeping that on an equity card. God bless. Um, him I, so I don't know. Um, so we'll just say Oak,
2: the gentleman who originated yes. James Madison and Hercules Mulligan in Hamilton, was scheduled mm-hmm. to replace John Groban in Great Comet. Uh, his Brogan. run was delayed by a week, and then about a month or so into the into his run, I guess it's now. They announced that Mandy Patinkin was going to come in for three weeks, cutting off Oak's run another week short. And there has been a lot of debate as to what the cause of this is. And there was a great big social media backlash against it. A lot of people in the Broadway community mm-hmm. saying that it was whitewashing of a role and taking a role away from an actor of color. And then Mandy Patinkin, within 24 hours, withdrew from the role. And Dave Malloy had tweeted out that it was done as a desperate ploy because ticket sales were drastically low once Ingrid Michaelson had left the company. And then as John said, it was released that actually Ingrid, Ingrid Michaelson came in to push out Britton Ashford on a paid leave rather than because Britton Ashford had a scheduled hiatus and Ingrid Michaelson happened to be available. So it's all very, Mm -hmm. it's all very cluttered, all very scattered. Uh, and so with his hot take is John.
1: Yeah. So I have a, I have a couple hot takes. Um, First off, I, I think in the I, in the world that we live in, we cannot keep up with the rolling in of facts. Like, like does does that make sense? Like, I I almost feel like we're so, we've become such a reactive society because of Twitter, because of social media. We take rumors on Twitter and like run with them, mm-hmm. and so um, my first issue with this whole thing it's just that like this all happened so quickly and it just kind of in the way that our modern day social media bowl of fuck soup like it like it all it all got out of control and so i I, I've done, like, a little more research, and I was reading, like, I didn't realize that Mandy Patinkin actually has a reputation for exiting projects projects unexpectedly. Like, it's not like Mandy Patinkin was so, like, completely, like, oh, my good Like, I, I know it was a huge thing that he was like, well, I obviously, this is such a fucking shitstorm, I don't want to be a part of it. But, like, it 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 all, I don't know, that the, the whole, I think the whole thing is a great exercise in what is wrong with our current social media reactive nature? And to kind of steer it towards this direction, which is kind of how we segued to the beginning, um, there was this huge uproar of whether or not it was a race thing or whether or not it was. And personally, I don't think it was a race thing. I think it was a money thing. I think it was a star name thing. But I will say that like it, it's so hard because you know, so many actors of of so many diverse actors out there, this is the world that they live in. They live in a world where that like I could never even begin to understand, but from all my all my friends of, you know, of of different color, of different backgrounds. Um, who are ethnically, quote-unquote, ambiguous, which sometimes even that phrase, like, boggles my mind, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to kill myself. Um, But it's, I can never even begin to understand what it's like to be told that, like, I didn't get a role because of the color of my skin or because of my ethnic background. And so I do get the, the uproar of here comes... A white actor who is pushing out an actor of color but I will say that if there is any show out there right now who kind of doesn't follow any kind of really specific and, you know I was thinking about this earlier I was about to say the word colorblind casting scheme or like or, or like but like I don't even like that I, I, I like I'd say it's one of the most diverse casts on Broadway And so it, I think we really kind of, as a, as a group of theater dorks, kind of got a epic mob mentality and just ran with it, with an with, with an idea that it it wasn't even really part of the actual original equation. Does any of that make sense? Oh my god, no, absolutely. (laughs) And I'm I'm
2: in agree with you because I don't like the term colorblind casting. Myself because I do think when we 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 make a conscious effort to cast as diverse as we can because we want the people on stage to reflect the people in the audience and the people in the world. And there's so well, many well, talented it, actors out there who yeah, who can really bring characters to life. I will argue well, it, that Great it's Comet the is same... colorblind in the oh, sense sorry, that... Oh, sorry, I, I would say, uh, I do think Great Comet is colorblind casting in the sense that there no role is written for or adheres to any specific ethnicity and an example being the role of natasha is was originated by philippa sue who is an asian american Mm -hmm. actress and then brought to broadway by by danae benton who is african-american and her two understudies are uh there is a caucasian uh woman in the cast i am forgetting her name uh she was a legally blonde reality show contestant. That's the only thing I know. And then Oh Lauren Zachary. That's oh, her name. Oh yeah. And then yeah. the other uh understudy is I believe Middle Eastern descent. I believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think they try to to include as many. My main issue with the term colorblind casting is that it almost reminds me so much of that awful saying of, Oh, I don't see color. Because when you say that it's actually extremely offensive because you're 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 saying that like you're, you're downplaying the fact that this person is of a background that has had to go through so much that has to suffer through so much that I don't have to suffer through as a white male. Like, and so, so that's why I don't like the term colorblind casting personally, because yes, I think it's more of a diverse casting because you, 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 you can't deny the fact that Oak is black. No. Like you can't be like, Oh, I don't see Oak is black. It's like, Yes, he is. <laughs> he, he's, he is very much a black man. No, and that's what we, is, it's what we that's were talking about last week about Andrew
2: Garfield and Prior Walter. And you know, mm, you, people mm-hmm. can say, oh, like, I don't think gay straight. I just see people. It's like, well, no. Being a gay man brings its own hardships and its own background to it, its own history. Yes. And that's something you can't just apply to a performance. It's something that usually is a part of you. Um, so, yeah. Yes. And so I, I think that we're in agreement on the fact that race is always going to be an issue at least in in our lifetime, that, that's not something that's going to be easily resolved, and it's been, yes. and and equality and casting and more is diverse something that's always casting is something for.
1: Hmm? Sorry. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, I was literally going to say that exact thing. I was going to say diverse casting is something we should always be fighting and proactive and championing for, like being champions.
2: Yes, and absolutely. For. And but I would, but I think we are also in agreement that it's sort of like no, understand who your allies are, and I think great Comet, If ever there was a show. That really kind yes. of embraces that. It is great Comet. I would even argue more so in Hamilton, where it's literally because yeah. it, also I read somewhere and I don't know, I can't confirm if it's true or not because I personally don't know anyone in the company, but I be, I read somewhere that the ensembles tracks there is no gender specific ensemble track, so a male swing can go on for a female uh, for a female ensemble member in that show. There, it's gender neutral. I love that. I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I do too. I really do. Yeah, I think I think I think the craziest thing about this whole thing now is just that like an amazing show. Not that they're innocent. I think I think being willy-nilly about people's contracts and being like, "Oh, sorry, like we just yeah. we need someone like we need someone to bring in more like we need someone to bring in more tickets." That that's something that our union should be like, "Uh, hold up a sec." Like that's not right to do because then that just completely makes us as actors just even more of like puppets of interchangeable like sock puppets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was very interesting. Like I, I'm I'm saddened by the fact that like people got so angry at at a show that was one of my favorites last season. And I think I, I hope it does not suffer and close because of this. I think I think we need to support this show. I think this show. I think this show is a champion for a lot of things that we are fighting for, for the future of theater. I think they just had this big stumble upon the way because, you know, they, they didn't clean up as much as I think they thought they were at the Tonys, and they're scrambling. Yeah, and,
2: I agree. If I may, I agree with you, and if I may be a little even more cynical about this element, I honestly think that the big moral of this story, and I'll I'll try to wrap it up as well so we can move on, is... uh yeah. I felt that it was more a testament of bad producing because Mm,
1: mm -hmm. star
2: casting has been happening since the dawn of Broadway, right? And bringing in a star to elevate ticket sales is nothing new. And most producers think of it as the greater good. We're keeping the show open and keeping 150 other people employed by bringing in this person. But I do think that the producers were very hasty about bringing Mandy Patinkin and and not really consulting Oak and not having sort of both parties agree to what the situation was going to be. And same thing Completely. with, uh, Bryn Ashford and Ingrid Michaelson and having me, mm-hmm. Ashford go on a forced hiatus while Ingrid Michaelson came in. Another reason why it's bad producing is because Bryn Ashford is on paid vacation for all this because it is not something right. that she's requested. They're making her do it. And same thing for Oak. They still have to pay Oak for the weeks that he won't be performing anymore because he's now leaving when they announced Randy right. was going to go on. So they still have to they're pay for
1: the, for the rest of those weeks. So that's also just bad producing. Right, they're just throwing money out. Like, I understand you have to spend money to make money, but I, I don't think this is the way to do it. No. I don't I don't think using your your team members, the people who you were supposed to be supporting, I don't think using them as just kind of like... <clears throat> I understand that in a sense, actors are products, but we cannot be, we, we we have to fight to be more than that. And I agree. I just think, I, I think the producers, I think it's good that they they were that they were outed with this because it should be examples so that people don't do it again, an example so that people don't do it again in the future.
2: Absolutely. There's, I we're gonna, we both understand why the producers did what they did. You know, all producers want their show to stay open, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they have to think of an even... Greater picture than that, and i they right. they just didn't, and they're now sadly paying the price and the show is too and I agree with you I thought I think yeah. it's a brilliant show, it's a lovely production. I hope it mm-hmm. stays open a while longer um me too let's get, I want to get to a show that will maybe one day also be on the horizon it okay has not been performed yet, it has not technically even been written yet, although elements of it have are about twenty years old. Are you are you are you are you, you, sniffing, are you sniffing what
1: I'm whiffing, John? The Brokeback Mountain play. That, and <laughs> the very first episode <laughs> to introduce
2: I'm, what I hope is a <gasps> masterfully oh.
1: brilliant product jukebox
0: I'm, that musical.
1: Cue in the music of something fun, ba da ba da ba, something fun. So those of you who remember from last week,
2: John had the brilliant idea of doing a mashup jukebox musical of the songs of Vanessa Carlton and Michelle Branch. Yep. Uh, I I only really knew Michelle Branch from like the WB days, back when the WB was not the CW. You know, when it was still Dawson's Creek and Gilmore Girls and uh, what what, like Everwood? Is that that no? I think Everwood
1: was even after. I think Everwood was CW. Was Smallville WB? Smallville. Smallville was still though
2: when it was 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 when it was still WB, right? Okay, yeah, I think so. I think it was I think it was on when it switched, but at least when it started, it was still WB.
1: Yeah, because I was going through my sexual awakening with Smallville, so I was yeah, that was probably still the WB.
2: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Before I begin with uh, our basic outline from the developmental lab of uh, Brunettes the Musical, I would like to say, having not been super familiar with either one of their milieus Mm. Uh, in depth anyway i found it's it's very difficult to really structure any kind of story around these songs not because they're not wonderful they're actually very articulate poetic songs but because both women kind of specialize in the a song that would perfectly fit in the all is lost moment of a show mm-hmm. if you know what i mean yeah I do. so like uh, yeah like it the, like the burn moment in hamilton uh, or the it's quiet uptown moment in Hamilton, but there's like there's no there's no my shot there's no nonstop in these girls repertoire. So mm. it was very difficult to be like okay, so like where's the opening number? Unclear. So lights up on Portland, Oregon, 2012. Why 2012? I don't know, but I just it seemed well,
1: a lot was difficult. happening in 2012. But Portland. <laughs> Two thousand and twelve I mean what a what a turning point in American history I'm already game
2: already history is happening in Portland, Oregon. lights up on Vanessa, who is a struggling lesbian songwriter who may or may not be an alcoholic
1: Good. ambiguity is already, good with characters. <laughs>
2: The stakes are so high already. She's working as a barista to pay the bills, and she lives with uh, her two roommates. They're a couple, and they're very romantic and gooey. Ugh. Vanessa loves black tank tops and red flannel, uh, <laughs> and she sings a little bit.
0: Crashed on the floor when I moved in This little bungalow with some strange new friends Stay up too late, and I'm too thin We promise each other it's till the end
2: then the lights come up on the other side of the stage on Michelle who is an ad executive. She <laughs> wakes up out of her bed and there's a uh, yet another night w- from her booty call with a man named Spencer. Oh. Yes, a man named Spencer.
1: Spencer only wants sex, like anyone who he, he does only not want a relationship.
2: Sex. Yeah, but to to her credit, Michelle only uses him for sex because he's oh. a douche and he's the kind of douche who doesn't know he's a douche. Mm. If like, the audience like looks at him and is like, "Ah, you're a foil for our leading lady." Mm. Um and Michelle wears her hair in a very symbolic bun, because she's very woundly, t- uh, tightly wound, woundly, very tightly wound. Uh, and speaking of tightly wound, this whole thing is going to be a turntable. The set is like a giant turntable, and there's chairs and, and tables surrounding it to create different locations, and a lot of mason jars and coffee mugs. It's sort of like, uh, and, oh, and like LED screens. It's like the Come From Away set meets the Dear of Hansen set, Meets a lot of coffee mugs.
1: Meets like a Ma and Pa shop in Portland. It's brilliant. I'm already buying I, my I, tickets I, at TKTS. <laughs> oh. I think
2: I I think already it's, this show wouldn't be on TKTS. The show would be selling out for years. Mm. You don't see Hello Dolly on TKTS.
0: It's all too sweet to last. It's all right.
2: The turntable turns and they go about their days. Vanessa goes to the coffee shop, Michelle to her office. Her co-worker slash friend is played by Kamiko Glenn. Kamiko oh Glenn asks Perfect. her about, you know, Spencer and informs the audience through very tasteful exposition about the big promotion that Michelle is up for at work, which would require her to move to New York City. Oh. All this, by the way, is happening like a giant big montage opening number. Like this show is very sure. chorus line-y in the sense that like there's very few like singular numbers. It's a lot of like nine minute montages of dialogue and song interspersed. I love a lot of turntable because yes. I love a sensible turntable. Uh, yes. Oh, their boss, played by Jan Maxwell, <laughs> comes to their desks. Jan Maxwell is a very sensible bitch boss. She gets stuff done, but she says a lot of sassy stuff. Of and she says something sassy and then walks off the stage and like gets another Tony nomination simply by exiting. And Her exit line Vanessa gets her a Tony shop. nom. She always will just get a Tony nom. It's always in the bag, but it's never in the hand. Vanessa goes to her coffee shop where her best friend slash fellow barista, played by our very own John Miscavige, who incidentally will be replaced three weeks later by Manny Patinkin.
1: Oh, it's so true. No,
2: it's fine. Twitter will be all ablaze about it. He says something sassy and gay and topical and says something about how the coffee shop has another open mic night and that Vanessa should try some more of her stuff. And Vanessa's like, but I've got writer's block. And the audience is like, we know what's going to fix it
1: lesbian sex
2: Michelle cause she walked oh, in with oh. Camilo Glenn wait what were you gonna say
1: I said lesbian sex yeah with Michelle yeah that's what's hey, gonna Michelle's fix your not writer's not block, block. Yeah, we
2: gotta get there
1: yeah sorry
2: the audience yeah, the audience knows they'll get together but it's
0: how
1: mm.
2: oh, oh and we can't forget Vanessa is is, is an alcoholic yes she's an alcoholic <laughs> Oh man! So Michelle Kamiko. I also don't have a name for Kamiko Glenn's character. She's just Kamiko. Yeah, she's
1: definitely. Glenn. She actually, yeah, go full Kamiko Glenn, like with that character. Her name is Kamiko.
2: Yeah, her name is Kamiko Glenn, played by Danae Benton. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my god! They,
2: they they come in to get a cup of coffee because their go-to Starbucks has like a pipe burst or something. And Michelle orders some random drink, and Vanessa makes like a very sassy lesbian comment about it, like, uh, that thing, but like oh. no, actually funny. Well, you know uh, those, we'll get, like,
1: you, know, you know, those sassy lesbian comments, just smack full of flannel and sass. <laughs> you know, like in order to be black, they got all that sassy, sassy lesbian, lesbian comments. A sassy lesbian comment? Like, what would that be? Like, oh, you can't get one of these drinks at Home Depot. Like, uh, perfect. You want that with a side it's in the side of the stocks. <laughs>
2: we're putting it in the show but you're not getting any royalties for it because this is a developmental lab not a workshop so sorry about it um they yeah so they like she had like has a sassy moment and she and michelle like look at each other like acknowledge each other and they don't but then they then they leave and then an hour later like the turntable turns and it's like later in the day and they're both in the park and they see each other and vanessa's like hey you're that girl who ordered that stupid drink and michelle's like you're the one who said the sassy lesbian comment and they like (laughs) They, like, sit down and they talk about themselves for a while. Vanessa's like, I want to be a songwriter. Michelle's like, I might go to New York eventually. And then Vanessa's like, you should let your hair down. And she literally goes to reach and undoes the bun. And all of a sudden, Michelle is beautiful and not tightly wound anymore. Wow.
1: Theater magic. They
2: sing sing a song called... The montage, You Get Me, turns into one of Vanessa's songs that she tries at the open mic night because she's thinking maybe her writer's block will be cured. And, like, Michelle's there and she loves it, but everyone else is, like, a little tepid. And then that turns into another giant montage of Michelle Branch's big hit song. Cause you're... And in that, they become much closer friends, and they, like, they go to, like, a local carnival and a bookstore, and they go out dancing, and then smack dab in the—oh, oh, oh, and uh, at some point, Kamiko Glenn's like, oh, Michelle, you're so much happier and sassier now. And Jen Maxwell's like, love your new hair. P.S. Don't forget about that New York City promotion. Walks off stage, gets another Tony nomination. Oh, oh, then right in the middle of everywhere. So you know like how in a chorus line in that big song Hello Twelve, Hello Thirteen, Hello Love, nothing mm-hmm. happens like smack dab in the middle of it. Yep. It's sort of like its own song. So in this giant everywhere montage, we like smack dab ourselves, the turntable finally stops after like thirty five minutes. And the dizzy cast are on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa and Michelle are like at Vanessa's house drinking wine. Michelle makes a comment about how, like, Vanessa's drinking slightly more than she is because we're, like, subtly reminding the audience that Vanessa's an alcoholic. (laughs) And they, like, open up about their love lives and Vanessa, like, talks about how her last two girlfriends left her. Mm. And Michelle's like, oh, yeah, me too, with the guys that I date. And Vanessa's like, tell me about the man you lost your virginity to.
1: Just a boy, just an ordinary
0: boy, but he was looking to... Guy and as he asked him about what come along. Started to realize that every day he finds us
1: what he's looking for, like a shooting star. He shines, he
0: said, Take my hand.
1: That line
2: is gonna be like a super important uh thread in the show. It's gonna pop up later and like for freezes and and, oh, and shit. Man. And Vanessa and Michelle now decide they're going to go out dancing and the everywhere montage continues. And they go to a club and some guy's hitting on Michelle and Vanessa gets very mad because she's super, super drunk. And Michelle's like, I'm going to take you outside and have you calm down and sober up. But they're both drunk. And in the heat of the moment, they kiss. And just like in the Great Comet when uh, uh, Anatole and Natasha kiss, like the entire music cuts out and all the ensemble takes their mason jars and they open them up and fireflies come out. <laughs>
1: there have been fireflies in the mason
2: jar? But why? I don't know maybe or maybe it's just no, like hold
1: on hold on pause that was that was that was something you hadn't mentioned that I feel like is a key that's like a key prop point we're gonna ha- spend mean, half the budget on keeping these fireflies oh my I goodness
2: mean, I didn't mention it because I kind of just thought of them now I like had tangled stuck in my head and I was like I think it's a tangled moment but, I thought you I don't know
1: I guess my mind's a lot darker, so I thought they were gonna like open up the mason jars and then smash them for some symbolic reason of like smashing the glass ceiling with a lesbian Oof. kiss. I never know. I, I mean, I get your I get your idea, might be the I'm, better of the two, but man, well, we, we're gonna have a big be, firefly. I don't know. Which one budget? of those would be
2: the easier cleanup? Because like yours is immediate with all that glass, but like the fireflies would eventually die and they have to go somewhere.
1: Oh, yeah, actually, how do you even round up the fireflies again? You're just going to have dead fireflies all over this Broadway turntable that has not stopped turning for 45 minutes. I mean, I, I feel like at the end of the original run of Les Mis, that's sort of like
2: the state they were in. Like All true. these bugs and fireflies on the turntable. Yeah. So oh, true. God. Sorry, uh, I didn't
1: oh, mean to so, stop such a beautiful moment. It was a, it was
2: a beautiful moment. Those fireflies were symbolic, just like Michelle's bun and Vanessa's alcoholism. Um... So so like symbolic alcoholism. <laughs> alcoholism is very, it's a very serious thing, but in theater, it's almost always symbolic. It's like never real. Uh, I
1: have metaphorical alcoholism. Sorry, doctor. I'm not going to go to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: a metaphorical doctor, anyway. It's just metaphorical.
1: So, <laughs> everything's,
2: everything's a metaphor. Just deal with it. Um, ooh, then. They sing one more verse of "Everywhere," one more one more chorus of "Everywhere," mm. but it's now with just an acoustic d- guitar. And oh, like beautiful. I thought maybe a piano, but I felt like that was too like on the nose. Let's just, let's just nose. do guitar. Like maybe Stephen Remus could like mani- like make a harp work really well or something.
0: Mm. No, mm. it's like
2: all very acoustic because they're singing it quietly as they lead each other to the bed and they have their oh. first time together.
1: Oh my! Oh, I just
2: like a harp and a guitar.
1: Oh, a harp and a guitar and a first-time lesbian tryst, man. Memories. Am I right?
2: If listen, if Fun Home had a harp in it, that <laughs> that, that show would have run three times. I was gonna say,
1: would would have run longer. Yeah, that, that's what that show needed to stay open. A harp. Harp. harp, harp, keep your show alive longer. Have a harp. What was the last? Uh, what would
2: you say? What was like the last original Broadway musical to have a harp in its orchestra? Light in the Piazza. Oh. Yeah, there you go. I think you just sold me. <laughs> oh, what? what has there been anything since then, though? That was 12 years ago.
1: Oh my god, that was 12 years ago. Probably there probably was, but I, Maybe I in my mind, therapists
2: are like wanting for work.
1: Yeah, in my mind, there are two shows on Broadway and it's Light in the Piazza and Hamilton. So, but yeah, no, everything else is everything
2: else is simply a dead yeah. firefly on the turntable. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Wait, so I have to hear what happens next. So they have their lesbian. Oh, okay, sorry. So, morning after. Lights come up and, and Vanessa's sleeping and Michelle sings Pretty Baby, which is a turn on things because that's actually a Vanessa Carlton song.
0: Ooh.
2: So Michelle is singing Pretty Baby to Vanessa. And then in a stunning transition that I stole from Bright Star, <laughs> Jen Maxwell pops up on one side of the stage. And Michelle has to come out of the bed and walk to her as Jen Maxwell's, like, talking about the NYC promotion. And as she walks to her, all the ensemble members rush and, like, put on her shoes and dress and bun as she's walking over. Mm. Jen Maxwell's all like, Michelle, we're giving you the promotion. Michelle's like, I don't know. I may be in love. And Jen Maxwell's like, don't think. You have till next week. (gasps)
1: Goes
2: off stage. Another Tony nomination. Mm. And then during during the week Vanessa and Michelle are like hanging out and Vanessa's like getting increasingly drunker and Michelle's like I should tell you something but I'm too scared and then they get into a big fight and Michelle's like I was supposed to go to New York but I don't know anymore and Vanessa's like I don't know anymore either and she runs into the bathroom crying with a bottle of wine and I don't know where the you're, wine came from you're
1: really but... you're really selling this alcoholism thing she is she is it's deep in the bottle it's a plot
2: point it comes up later it's the wedge that drives them apart
1: it's, Whoa, very, no. it's very, it's very, no
2: sense, I promise. Okay. And Vanessa sings to her reflection while she's crying the first verse of All You Want. Michelle comes, uh, comes into the bathroom, she holds her, and she sings the rest of the song. And it goes from being damaging to being comforting. And Vanessa says, I will stop, I promise. And then the next day, Michelle goes back to work, and she's like, I'm not going to take it. And then the next day, she goes to Vanessa's house to find Vanessa passed out on the floor. Her flannels are all in disarray.
1: You, well, you know that's a lesbian lost, then. If her flannels are in disarray, oh, That is It's
2: literally the all is lost moment. And Michelle's like... <laughs> how dare you? Don't you know what I gave up for you? And Vanessa's like, go! Everybody else goes! And I mean, it may seem like crazy for them to be like so high-pitched because they've only known each other for five weeks, but But I will argue, I thought about this, I will argue, Tony and Maria only knew each other for like three days. So like, if it works for them, it works for us.
1: And they're they're lesbians!
2: They're lesbians in Portland, okay? The stakes are always
1: high, just like the altitude. Two weeks time, they should have three cats by now. So like, there we go. Exactly. Oh, so Michelle's like, screw
2: you. And she goes and she storms out. And then they both sing goodbye to you in their pools of light.
0: Of all the things i believed in I just want to get it over with
2: And as they do that, Vanessa decides she's finally going to chuck the wine bottle. And Michelle calls up Spencer for one last rock-bottom booty call before she goes to New York City. And while this happens, they also sing. And then Vanessa shows up at the open mic night and she goes, I have a song. And oh, sorry, no, sorry. No, the next scene, it's just a monologue. All these empty chairs on stage that symbolize AA and Vanessa stands up and she says, I'm an alcoholic and all the ensembles off stage saying, hi, Vanessa. Vanessa has a beautifully long monologue about her history, about her father and her mother and why she's an alcoholic. And it's really only two minutes long, but it's like going to win Mandy Moore, the Tony when she makes her Broadway debut in this show.
1: Oh, Mandy Moore's playing Vanessa. Wow. Brilliant. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, Tangle 2 is taking too long to come out. So she's like, I need something to do. into it. And she then goes, the, the chairs go off the stage and she goes to open mic night she sits on a stool in her pool of light and she's like this is a song I dedicated to someone who just recently left me. And then the lights go out just as John the barista, her best friend, our very own John Miscavige, whips out his iPhone Mm. to record it. And on the other side of the stage in a pool of light is Michelle at New York City feeling all alone and she gets a ding on her phone and it's John and he just sent her a video and she opens up her phone to watch it and Vanessa comes back up and she sings If I could fall into the that inspires michelle to leave new york and come back to vanessa and she does and i haven't gotten i haven't figured out their their meet up again i think like vanessa goes back to the coffee shop to say goodbye because maybe she's going to leave portland and try her luck somewhere else and just as she tells like john a tearful goodbye michelle walks through the door and they look at each other and they hug and they sing Free. Everybody comes out doing like Andy Blankenbuehler-esque, Finding mm. Neverland-esque choreography that's like jumpy and kicky and like kind of hip-hop but not. And then the whole stage clears and they all release more fireflies.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am soaked from tears. I mean, my emotions <laughs> are just over, overfloweth. and I'm going to s- punch you. No, I am soaked with sexual tension. Like I think that's beautiful. I round of applause. Honestly, I don't know if clapping gets recorded well on this, but um, you did such a good job with our first official jukebox the musical.
2: I can't. I can't it. I wait
1: for our next one. I. We have to figure that out. What it is? I guess I, I'll write the next one. And guys. You just heard it here. You heard our first Jukebox the musical. You heard the magic that we could create with theater, with fireflies, with lesbians. With so let us know what, what, what pop rock singer that you love, that you sing 16 bars of their stuff at a pop rock call. Let us know what you want us to do of their with their musical theater canon, and we can write another Man, moving lesbian modern musical. That puts fun home to shame. I'm just going to say it. Like, fun home? No. Boring home compared to that.
2: Wow. None home. We want none Uh, of your home.
1: You didn't have fireflies or harps. Get out of here.
0: Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow (laughs) caller. You're the
1: top. I'm going to take a few moments at the end of this podcast right now to briefly fill us in again on our favorite foot fetish audition saga and you guys shit's getting real like I didn't realize when I delved into this slight topic that I would be uncovering a a modern day mystery it's um my heart is beating right now so fast and it's not it's not just because of the, the the lesbian musical, it's, um, okay, I guess what I will start with was, so last week I found the name of the man who had been posting these auditions, Tony D'Alessandro, um, for those of you who haven't listened prior, basically this man has been posting auditions online, um, under false pretenses that it is an audition for a play, when it very obviously is either or or some kind of like promotional video for a play, when it is very obviously a um, a foot fetish rink or something, or some kind of foot fetish situation. So basically, all these things revolve around this man getting young actors to audition for him and to send him photos of their feet. So basically, I went back and I tried to look up more things about Tony. Because last week I found his blog and I described some of his photography that he had on there and kind of his information. And I looked up stuff about his email and it was coming up a little bit short. And so I went back to the source of where all drama begins, once again, where I found his name, to audition update. And I found out that Tony D'Alessandro is not the original foot fetishist. There's been multiple. So basically around like 2011, 2012... It was really common. And this was when I first moved to the city too, when I was seeing a lot of these, which is what always sparked my interest years ago. And so um basically we there's this there was this person posting looking for um looking for casting calls, and I actually found one of the casting calls. Um it was for this this company called 8th Avenue Studio Freelance. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Lies. Lies, 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 It was called um th- the film was called Dirty Laundry. And basically the breakdown was this. This video entails a bit of wacky, real, sadistically funny, fetish subject matter. Johnny comes home to work to find Nick asleep with his shoes on top of the table. Nick is awoken to discover Johnny's obsession has turned a whole new direction, so he decides to take advantage of his roommate's fetish and take him on a roller coaster ride that'll teach him to air out his dirty laundry. And then the name of this producer is Anthony Joseph Fusco with a company called Tofuti Delights at gmail.com. So they were seeking Nick, who's Described as male, 21 to 35, attractive with a good, strong presence, capable of a commanding attitude, actor must be comfortable having the actor portraying the role of Johnny worship at his feet. Johnny is described as male, 18 to 26, so considerably younger, lean, clean-cut, innocent, can take direction well, which, like, as an actor, you should be able to, so that makes me think that, like, they're going to direct you to do some really weird shit. Then it says, actor Mm -hmm. must be comfortable in a submissive role and will be required to have contact with the socks and the feet of the actor portraying Nick. Note, no nudity. So the auditions were held at two separate days at Ripley Greer in two-hour increments. You had to schedule an audition appointment and email your picture and resume. And then it said it pays $100 cash for the shoot, plus copy and credit provided. And so... So... Basically, like, okay, kind of weird, but it's supposed to be this, like, video. And so the more that I did research on this guy, the more that I found out was that actually Dan Savage, <laughs> the the reporter, you know, like the yeah. famed Dan Savage, got into contact with this man because people were, like, trying to figure out what was going on with him. And basically... He was saying, like, a lot of times, like, we don't even really end up filming the whole thing. It ends up being promotional stuff, but it's not softcore porn. We're doing it promo for a play that it's eventually going to be. So, basically, he kept reiterating, like, it's, it's not porn. It's not, I'm trying to find the, I'm trying to find the, the term he used. Um, ah, it is not porn and it is not foot fetish fap material. So Anthony Fusco uh, had been putting these posts on a lot during 2011, 2012, and then 2013, Dan Savage posts this article about him and about him making um, these videos about foot fetishism and about whether or not it is porn. So then Anthony Fusco actually disappears. And then suddenly... Tony D'Alessandro appears, and um, I'm going to leave it at this point because although this is barely scratching the surface, um, has anyone out there in the listening to this podcast listened to or watched the documentary Tickled? Tickled is about a um, for those of you who haven't. Tickled is a documentary about a New Zealand reporter who stumbles across a tickling. um, straight male fetish video rank where like these young, like barely 18 straight, mostly like most of them played like sports, specifically like wrestling. They were getting paid to tie each other up and tickle each other as like they were tied down to beds, but it was supposed to be non-sexual. And so this reporter, um, David Ferrier contacted this website that was doing these and basically was responded back to um, in very aggressive terms. Like literally one of the emails he received back from this company called Jane O'Brien Pictures was like, you fucking, and I, I hate to use this term, but this is what they use, you Kiwi faggot. If you keep trying to find out information about what we're doing, we will ruin your life. So thus the documentary Tickled was created where David reveals multiple layers of who was actually running this company that was called Jane O'Brien Pictures. And funnily enough, this year, Dave, who did this um, documentary, has taken an interest in Anthony Fusco, who has gone missing, and the now Tony D'Alessandro. And Dave, this journalist, may have found out that Tony D'Alessandro doesn't exist and Anthony Fusco has been hiding behind multiple aliases for years to get his own personal stock of foot fetish porn from actors. And that's where I'm <sighs> going to leave it. We've, we've slowly
2: placed the mic right down on the floor, walk away, leaving a stunned auditorium.
1: Yeah. Oh my Were God. you able to follow any of that? Because, yeah, I, you couldn't see, I mean, you can't see me. I am, like,
2: sitting here on my bed. My nails are in my legs. Like, I am, I was, A, repulsed, mystified, and captivated. I was, I want, it's like an episode of
1: Twin Peaks up in here. It is. It's, um, yeah, there's some real deep shit going on with these Playbill casting calls going on, and people are getting duped. People are being manipulated, people are being lied to, and people are being, people are, people are being, I guess the best term to use right now is people are being catfished by, by one man who is pretending to be multiple people. Um, and I will, I will leave it this week at that, and we will pick up again next week with Tales of the Foot fetishist.
2: Tales of the Foot Fetishist. Should that be the name of the episode today? Or maybe Brunettes?
1: Or maybe I think, Metaphorical I think, I think Alcoholism? I think either Metaphorical Alcoholism or Brunettes should be our title today. But yeah, ladies and gents. Yeah. We've so we leave a lot out there today. This, was, yeah, this lady, was a very dense episode. Ladies and gents, sorry that we went away for a week, but we just came back like we gave you... Comic controversy. We gave you lesbian musical firefly turntable realness and we gave you multi layered, multi faceted, multiple personality, catfishing foot fetishist realness. You will not get this anywhere else and be thankful that you won't get this anywhere else because this is a lot of crazy shit. <laughs> it's a lot
2: to listen to on your train ride to work or home. Like, oh my
0: god
2: it's a lot but it's compact. I would say that that would describe our personalities in general. We're a lot but we're compact. I hope so.
1: I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's it guys. We just dropped a ton of mics on you guys and that's that's it. Who do you, who do you want to play us out this week, Matt? I mean, I'm so excited already for next week's episode cuz we got some shit to deal with.
2: We got some shit to stir. This week um I am going to ask this week that we get Judy Kuhn to play us <gasps> out.
1: Yes.
2: Oh, Judy Kuhn. Mm. Judy Kuhn. Speaking of Fun Home, realness. I was gonna say right, Judy. Although, although we won't have her sing her Fun Home song. Well, no. Oh, something else. Uh,
1: I'll yeah. think of it on the moment. All right, now. guys. Well, I'm John. I'm Matt. And this is us signing out. Us out. This is us signing out. Take us away, Judy. Bye, Judy. Bye, guys. Bye.
0: The you can own the earth and still all your